11 to 1. But what about all the other evidence? What about all that stuff, the, the, the knife, the, the whole business? Well, you said we could throw out all the other evidence. Well, what do we do now? You're alone. I don't care whether I'm alone or not. It's my right. It's your right. Well, what do you want? I say he's guilty. I want to hear your arguments. I gave you my arguments. We're not convinced. We want to hear them again. We have as much time as it takes. Everything, every single thing that took place in that courtroom, but I mean everything, says he's guilty. What do you think, I'm an idiot or something? Why don't you take that stuff about the old man? The old man who lived there and heard everything. Or oh, this business about the knife, what, because we found another one exactly like it? The old man saw him right there on the stairs. What's the difference how many seconds it was? Every single thing. The knife falling through a hole in his pocket. You can't prove he didn't get to the door. Sure, you can take all the time, hobble around the room, but you can't prove it. And what about this business of the L? And the movies? There's a phony deal if I ever heard one. I bet you $5,000 I'd remember the movies I saw. I'm telling you, everything that's going on has been twisted and turned. This business with the glasses? How do you know she didn't have them on? This woman testified in open court. And what about hearing the kid yell? Huh? I'm telling you, I've got all the facts here. Here. Uh -huh. Well, that's it. That's the whole case. Well, say something. You lousy bunch of bleeding hearts. You're not going to intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Rotten kids, you work your life out. in theory my name is webb and this is my co-host mike a new month means a new slate of movies and we start off with who now i hesitate to claim any film as my favorite film of all time because any given day i could say that it's one film if i'm feeling in a better mood i could say it's another one so it's hard <laughs> talk, two smoking barrels exactly exactly 
But boy, if I were to tell you that 12 Angry Men, the Sidney Lumet courtroom thriller from 1957, is my favorite film of all time, you know what? I, I, I don't know if I could uh, be any more accurate like that, that it might be my favorite film of all time i tend to watch it multiple times a year uh i don't know if i've watched it multiple times in one month i'm, I'm sure i have or different versions of it uh, the the play i mean uh in 2005 the la theater works created an audio only version of it and i thought it was pretty good so i have heard that multiple times in a month so the story may I ask you a question yes was that version, did it have a sluttier version of a character? <laughs> no. That that one's for the, the true fans of Trilogy <laughs> Theory. That's a, a deep pull. It <laughs> is. Back to our very first episode. <laughs> and I absolutely adore this film, and I've seen it so often, I didn't even watch it for this recording. <laughs> that is... You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> program something that you love and adore and you know i consider that when i do that uh so go back to last month for once upon a time in hollywood i consider it a victory lap like i'm going back around like i love this like this is this is even uh you know for uh, podcast work this is just for pure pleasure and here the the two have met you went the opposite way you're like i know this so well i don't even need this i don't need more of it in my life well, you know, you know what's funny is I thought that I had not watched it with my wife. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to – I took out my Criterion, put it in the PlayStation, and put it on. And as soon as the opening moment, she's like, oh, wait, we did see this film. because, And then she told me the plot. I was like, oh, we did? Oh. And then we ended up watching The Heat with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the natural <laughs> next step. It, that's a great I'm surprised. movie. <laughs> Uh, spoiler alert for the rest of this uh, month, that is not going to be the follow-up, although it doesn't sound out of bounds for Trilogy in Theory to go to the heat no. after 12 Angry Men. So I uh, actually had a follow-through web, and I took out my, the rare time, I took out my Criterion disc, put it in my PlayStation, which even when you said that, I'm like, does that... Does that sound like we're demeaning this this art? But like, I put it in my video game system to play. But <laughs> to be fair, I, I, think I think we both use a PlayStation Five, so <laughs> I actually had to think back. I don't. I've never owned a Blu-ray player that's not been a PlayStation of some sort. I think so. Uh, that's just being in a strange way thrifty, I suppose, <laughs> to combine those two hobbies. Uh, I am not as big a fan of this is you although i have i don't know if i have any issues with it but i i actually came to this one late uh which obviously we both did because we were not around for its 1957 premiere but the was it like 97 98 like it was like a showtime made for tv uh remake the freaking one i happened to just catch that randomly without just seeking it out uh on television and became like riveted by this, this, you know, the story. So for me, it's, you know, it's probably unfortunate, even though I don't think that they're, since this is based on a teleplay and it's, you know, very stagey, I don't think that that quasi official remake, I guess, as far as a filmed version, I don't think that it seems any sort of bastardization of it. It's just an update as far as here are new cast members. It's basically like seeing uh, a new production of it. 
but I have a hard time because I remember enjoying that so much watching this version because I think of George C. Scott. I think of James Gandolfini. Like I think of Jack Lemmon and that is imprinted in my mind, which I think speaks to just the quality of probably just the text of this film, just the, just the, the, the script itself that if you get great modern actors in it, this will play just as well. So I don't, I don't know. Is that an insult to Sidney Lumet uh, here? Like it's, a, I watched this version. I think it's great as well, but it just seems like it's a matter of which, which version I came to first was going to be the one that I always remember in my mind. And so I guess I'm saying I'm a Jack Lemon man, Henry Fonda and go pound sand. That's okay. I mean, I think it's more an insult to, I guess, partially Lamette and also to Boris Kaufman, the uh, cinematographer on the film, who is the younger brother of Zyga Vertov, who also, uh, who directed A uh, Man with a Movie Camera, which, again, I wow, we're going into best, like, favorite films of all time. It's 12 million. I think Man with a Movie Camera is probably the best film of all time. I think that film encapsulates everything you can do with the medium. Anyhow. I think what they do in terms of taking this stagey play and turning it into something cinematic, I think there's a little slight there. Uh, one of the things that Lamette has mentioned is how to heighten the tension throughout the film. And the way that he does it is he makes the room even more claustrophobic than it already is. Uh, the visually, he is filming individuals from like above eye level in the first act and then as the movie progresses he kind of zooms in and the middle chunk of the film you're at eye level with these characters by the end you're below eye level there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening boris kaufman uh the cinematographer i just mentioned uh he only has three ways to kind of light this film it, again going from the beginning to the end you daylight and then it starts to rain and then ultimately in the evening where you have the indoor lighting and it's so easy for these single room plays slash movies to become static and that's not what happens Kaufman and Lamette are constantly keeping things interesting the opening shot is uh, through the uh, uh, credits uh, is very active and it's a I think it's a long five six minute tracking shot very very dynamic even the scenes where Henry Fonda is recreating the old man's walk to the door from his bed and then with a limp you're with him that entire scene it's so easy to just place the camera and watch it all and just kind of move it as he but no you're on that journey with him you're walking with him and you're timing yourself as the other characters are so there's something very dynamic about this film that I feel like it shouldn't be there, and yet he makes it that way. Did you find yourself, uh, I guess, bored visually at all? I don't, and I've seen this oh, quite no. a bit. Okay, mm -hmm. good, good. I'm glad. No, no, not at all. Um, I, I don't even. I, I actually worry more about the performances and these type of things. Like, so Alfred Hitchcock's Rope is one where they are. He's calling attention to himself as far as how to open it up even though this is going to take place in an apartment and we're not going to leave said apartment but there is certainly like a theatricality to the performances there and to the characterization in that film of the the killers uh as far as reveling in uh this little game they're playing i that's what i probably applaud most about both versions and this one uh is, is no different and i think maybe when i first came to it i expected it the performances to be 
bigger than what how a modern actor would, would approach uh, such things. And they don't. Uh, Henry Fonda is, I mean, in essence, the straight man, uh, at least at the start of this. He's the, the, the lone voice of let's talk this out. Um, and everyone else is probably going to get to some degree bigger. What, and that it doesn't matter if they're on the side of he's guilty and they're shouting it, uh, or if they're coming to Fonda's side of things of questioning uh, what they've just heard and if it connects and makes sense. Everyone is going to get, you know, as the title implies, is going to get louder and find their own individual voice as opposed to being comforted by being part of the majority and part of the group. And so that's pretty easy, I think, to go to veer off. Like that may be the one thing, um, like with the the newer version with George C. Scott, is when you cast George C. Scott, you're you're saying go big, buddy. Like we don't <laughs> we don't cast you <laughs> to to be quiet and restrained. And every time I come back to this, because I've seen this version a few times, I've actually probably seen this one more than the the Showtime, the Friedkin version, and I'm always impressed by the restraint of all the filmmakers, the actors, the director, just in that they let certain things sit. They let little moments build up to the natural boiling point. And I, I, I find this one somehow breaks out of the shackles of that uh, sort of like, you know, the, the locked room murder mystery type thing that can feel a little bit like dinner theater at times. And this one, I don't think this one ever does. And the thing is, it's also dealing with a concept of the American democracy that is so crucial. It, there are very few films that make me feel patriotic about America. You know, you can watch Saving Private Ryan and see kind of the bombastic and, and very kind of obvious patriotism and stuff like that. Or you watch any, I guess, recent Marky Mark film because he's very vocal about all that. And it, it doesn't feel... Joe Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Bell will become a running theme on this show. <laughs> and even a month later, people are like, what are you talking about? What the hell is that? <laughs> Do you mean Zoe Bell? No, no. <laughs> but the fact that the film takes time to even... I guess the material uh, takes time to discuss how important... Uh, the the jury process and how important this is to America's democracy. It's it's it it genuinely makes me feel proud to be part of this specific corner of the world. I find it interesting, and I, I you know it's funny because I say that, and the movie did not do well here. Even the studio was hesitant to produce this film because. In 1954, I think, there was already a TV special that came out. So the studio's reaction to Henry Fonda, who wanted to make the film, was people already got it for free. They're not going to pay more money to see it in theaters. <laughs> and so but he was held, but he like, I'll gamble on this movie. And, and uh, Sidney Lament was, I think, an actor at the time doing like some theater work, and so he wanted him to direct it. And they eventually gambled on it. And even after its critical acclaim all the Oscar nominations. It did poor business in America. It did really well overseas. But it's funny to me that the American public was like, no, no, thank you. Like, we did already get it for free. All these Oscars, 
nope, who cares? I find it funny that in 1957, the Oscars meant as much as they do in 2021 <laughs> to the average person. I was about to ask you, did you attempt uh, to to watch, because that, that version is included on this Criterion uh, disc and I don't clearly I would say this time around you did not but I I attempted it for the first time for this podcast and I think I made it five minutes and I'm like ah this is this is not for me uh, even from a technical point of view I'm like I had, I'm having a hard time watching and listening to this uh, so thanks Criterion for nothing for that <laughs> <laughs> that wasted print on the back of the box is a special feature I am right there with you once upon a time when this film did come out on Criterion, and I was like, oh my god, another version? Because I'm all about it. There's been countless TV parodies, they've been different theatrical, and I, and when the Audible came out, they, they, that's how I found the 2005 audio-only theatrical production. And I was like, when I found that, I was like, oh, I'm so excited, and I, I listened to it, and I was like, this is great. And when I found out about the inclusion of the original television version, I was super excited, and yes, I completely agree with you. I got, I don't want to want up yet, but I think I got like 10 minutes in, and I was like, this is not for me. I'd rather just watch the actual film. It's not a one-up web. That means that I saved five minutes of my life, <laughs> as opposed to you. Fair. But that brings me to another really interesting aspect of this film, because it is set in 1957, when it came out, there have been multiple theatrical productions. There have been audio versions, a TV parodies. Why is it that we haven't gotten a modern version? Because there are more advances in crime-fighting technology. I work in crime scene, and I am more aware about the things that happen on scene and what happens during the process uh, that goes from, from crime all the way to trial. I'm very aware of each of those steps. I have testified on the stand about this kind of stuff. So I find it interesting that there hasn't been a modern rebound. I mean, you can't call it 12 Angry Men anymore. I think the cast would have to be much more diverse. So it's I done guess... then. It's got a great title, and now... <laughs> Women folk have taken that away from us. The marketing is shot to hell. Just don't even do it anymore. Well, the, the entire case would have to be different because so much of 12 Angry Men is eyewitness testimony, which we know is pretty unreliable. And I guess if it was like a rape case, it'd be like, oh, uh, so we found a condom. There's a suspect DNA on the inside, victim on the outside, case closed. That That version would last all of 10 minutes, I guess. But I still find it odd that there is no modern version of this. I feel like a good screenwriter could update the material and talk about the more modern prejudices. And that in and of itself is a great point because uh, one of the key aspects before a trial even begins is the jury selection process. So anytime you have somebody like uh, Henry Fonda who is a critical thinker, that's not what these attorneys want in their deliberating between, like, well, really what happened and uh, how does this evidence really – they don't want that. They want somebody simplistic and they want somebody who they can essentially mold during their arguments throughout the trial. So that in and of itself would make, I think, for an interesting aspect of the film, the, the jury pool. So it, it's – do you think that we can't do a modern version of this? 
We can't hire Aaron Sorkin. Like, hey, buddy, here's a, a, a bag with a giant dollar sign on it. Can you make this? It's like a yes or no type feeling for me because I, I do feel like you, know, you mentioned the uh, like a rape case. Well, hell, we've had how many years of one of the Law and Order spinoffs, uh, which is just about uh, sexual assault uh, cases. Uh, it does seem. I mean, I don't know now, but you know, the previous two to three decades, hell, maybe I guess going back to the eighties, that shows about criminal process, be it from a lawyer's point of view or the cops getting into the medical field with the popularity of ER. It does seem like in television, people like, even though it's probably heightened uh, for entertainment value, they like shows about that particular process. So if you're a lawyer, cop, fireman, a doctor, you'll be on network television at some point. That being said, I wonder if the the simplicity of this case, which I think lends itself to meteor performances, because it come it becomes about the men, the the jury itself more so than the case. If you had too many details, uh, if you have too much of your technical jargon web, your mumbo jumbo. If we've got you on the stand and, you know, we've got uh, Henry Fonda's got to argue all of your, your science and stuff. I, I can see the eyes glazing over from the audience. I can see. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it doesn't leave too much wiggle room. Like th this is subjective, right? You're saying it's the eyewitness ter testimony is subjective. Uh, what these men themselves bring to the table, their life experiences, it's all subjective. That leaves a lot of room for debate. Uh, between them maybe modern technology leaves less room uh for for debate or if you're in the audience you're like what is there to argue about like you would have to you like we would probably clearly look at you know the jurors that are holding on to the guilty verdict is well they're just purely racist and that's something that this film does avoid there is like a a three-dimensional quality to uh the character played by lee j cobb here that I don't know with modern technical details if we would see it as three-dimensional if he was being that obtuse about what he's hearing and sticking to this kid has to be guilty. I, I don't know. I don't know if you would have any sympathy for him now in a modern version. You make a really good point. The genius of this film is really more the jurors rather than the case and what they bring their own prejudice and their own biases to. Did you have a favorite juror, the one you're like, I want to see more of that individual? I, I'm very partial to Lee J. Cobb. I, I think he is one of the – I hesitate to call him a character actor. I don't want to box him in like that, but I don't know one film that he was the star of. Uh, he just always brings it. I don't even think he has an Oscar. And, and generally, you know, those, those great actors, even generally, always they get an Oscar for something, even though they don't deserve it for that specific performance. I feel like he is the most underrated and underappreciated actor um, in, in Hollywood history. My favorite, I would, it would probably be, um, I had to look up cause I can't get the the numbers right, but uh, Edward Benz plays juror number six, which I like that about the film that we just know them uh, as their, their numbers as they go around the table. Uh, and he's the one that I guess is uh, the defender uh, especially of like the uh, the oldest man in the yeah. room when someone's being, you know, there's, there's any element of uh, condescending to this man or disrespecting him that he's more of a protector of his fellow man. I like that because it's like he he doesn't seem to have as much of a 
black and white opinion of the case, but he does. And maybe you could say it's a character flaw that he allows other people's treatment of the guys in the room, what he can see in front of his face to maybe kind of dictate which side he should be on. I say that just as a bit of a, of a hothead (laughs) at work, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) And I really have a tough time dealing with people that are quick to, to go to disrespect of someone uh, just because of their, they maybe have a differing point of view in that that moment. So I, I like that. I like that he's, Maybe he's not the best uh, jury member as far as when he was there listening to the case as far as taking all all the information. Uh, But he does have some sort of instinctual bit of justice where he's like, wait, that doesn't sound right. Like that's you cannot if you're treating this man across from me like this, then that calls into question your viewpoint of the man whose life we hold uh, in our hands. I I would probably say uh, he's the one I liked best. I'm not saying it's the best performance, but his his viewpoint I found the most interesting. Well, he actually has what I believe might be the most profound statement in the entire film, uh, where he's talking to uh, Henry Fonda, uh, juror number eight, and he says to him, I think it's in the bathroom where they kind of have that little break. Like, let's say that you do talk us all into saying not guilty, and then the kid really did knife his father. That's the opposite side. And so it's an incredibly astute observation to make and he is he has that ability to see into the future like okay well this is kind of where maybe this case is going and you're right that is the really frightening aspect of our and and the kind of the counterbalance to the american democratic system and it's built for it's like we want to make sure that the individual is truly guilty the concept of beyond a reasonable doubt where even the um the, the foreign juror okay once again i don't remember all the numbers it's always confusing says like maybe you don't understand it and, and you know the the juror who he says that too is kind of aghast and insulted but yeah most americans probably don't understand the concept of beyond a reasonable doubt this person that is on trial they need to be 100 percent sure if they're going to put him in prison for uh, some time or in you know sentence him to death depending on what's uh what state you're in i also had to check myself and say, wait, wait, am I influenced by the first version I saw? Sure enough, uh, juror number six, played by James Gandolfini, in the Friedkin version. I'm like, yep, that's probably <laughs> that's probably it. That's, that was crawling around the back of my brain, like I like this one the most. This, yeah, he's so, yeah, um, I, you know, and I'm I've not seen that in years either. I'm probably over a decade, so, but it's still there. That would have been a great Criterion edition, like every single version of this. Every film. one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but you know what? That's the strength of the material. So as much as you're right, like you are insulting Sidney Lumet by not always thinking of this one, that's okay. I think the material is actually more important than any specific version. So as long as you appreciate that, I think I'm okay. I just find this one to be the best version uh, because I'm more partial to uh, the cinema and that that's all right. A brilliant film. I'm so happy that we got to discuss it. And I'm happier for myself in the future and happier for you because we get to discuss it in a different context with all three of our films this month. So I appreciate and I hope that we are on a (laughs) upward trend instead of last month where (laughs) the first film (laughs) may have been a misstep. Who knows? But I'm glad that we're here. Well, as I've established, um, 
better versions lie ahead. Uh, this was <laughs> this was good for 1957, but we've uh, succeeded this <laughs> many times over. So yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be jumping ahead substantially to uh, next week. One of the things that I always do, like, okay, so I I grew up uh, wanting to be in theater and in film. Like, I loved acting, and in an alternate universe, I wish I would I, I would have pursued that a little bit more. Um, I always have wanted to be in a production of 12 Angry Men as juror number three, Lee J. Cobb's character. Oh, wow. Okay. I've always wanted to do that. And I catch myself after every rewatch doing the lines, everything that's happened here. You know, like I I love it. And the the thing is, I would be a bad casting choice for production because I would just be imitating (laughs) Cobb the entire time. (laughs) Because I'm just in love I don't know which part. Uh, I like that uh, that uh, way of thinking about it. I don't know which one. If someone said, "Hey, you have to be in this play. We're giving you first dibs." There's no way, Webb. I, I, I take you know stand on the in the shoes of Henry Fonda, Jack Lemmon, uh, George C. Scott. Absolutely not. Jack Warden. Are you, you Jack Warden? <laughs> the guy that wants to get to the baseball game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the part I'd want to play. <laughs> Succeeded by the great Tony Danza and the Friedkin version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I, me. I feel like I've tried to watch this version, but the fact that you mentioned Tony Danza, it's, it's, it's really funny to me. I, uh, You know what I'm going to do uh, in my spare time? Like, I'm going to think about a modern remake and try to put, do the casting decisions. Yeah, I, I, just... I think I could do it. I, I want Stanley Tucci as, as Henry Fonda's character. I think that's what I want. I, I'm just in a Tucci mood right now. That's actually really like that would be on point. That would be great casting if he could do something like that. But yeah, you got to throw some chicks in there, man. So I know you know, throw a little Jessica Chastain in there. That's fine with me. Like yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy as a lead as DJ Cobb. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock in the Heat, as we <laughs> as you said, <laughs> this is the same as Twelve Angry Men. <laughs> what was I thinking? stuff, the whole business. You said we could throw out all the other evidence. You're alone. I don't care whether I'm alone or not. It's my right. It is your right. What do you want? I, I say he's guilty. We want to hear your arguments. I gave you my arguments. But we're not convinced. We want to hear them again. We have as much time as it takes. Everything. Every single thing that went on in that courtroom, but I mean everything, says he's guilty. What do you think I am, an idiot or something? 
lousy bunch of bleeding hearts. Well, you're not going to intimidate me. I am entitled to my opinion. I can sit in this goddamn room for a year. Somebody say something. Look, why don't you take all that stuff about the old man, the old man who lived there, who heard everything, or the knife? What? Just because he found one just like it, the old man saw him on the stairs. What difference does it make? How many seconds it took? What is the difference? Every single thing. <laughs> A knife <laughs> falling through a hole in his pocket. You can't prove he didn't get to the door. Joe, so you can hobble around here all you want, but you can't prove it. I'm telling you, every single thing has been twisted and turned in here. The business about the eyeglasses. You don't know whether she wore glasses. The woman testified in court. What do you want? That's it. That's the whole case. The whole thing about the boy yelling out. The phrase was, I am going to kill you. And he said it to his own father. I don't care what kind of a man that was. It was his father. God damn rotten kid. <laughs>